Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Love Alcaraz podcast. Uh, no, this is the Love Tennis podcast, but... For a group of people who have been banging the Carlos Alcaraz will win a Grand Slam drum for maybe two years, there's a slight aura of smugness in the Zoom room this morning. Uh, my name is James Gray from iNews and the iNewspaper. George Belshaw is here, as is Calvin Betton. We're going to look back at the US Open. We'll look at the, the finals in detail, but we'll also look at the whole tournament because that is now over. We're doing this on... Monday morning New York time as early as I could possibly manage it, which wasn't very early because I haven't been to bed before 2am for about a week. Uh, but you will be listening to this no doubt on Monday evening and you've had a bit of time to, to process what has happened and to get through the various stages of whether it be joy or sadness. Um, we'll start, I think, with the men's final because it's freshest in our minds and we'll talk a bit about the women's final as well and then maybe have a, a look back at the tournament as a whole, maybe talk about our surprises of the tournaments or our, our big takeaways um, and uh, then we'll be back to normal next week to an extent but more on that later. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz is the US Open champion. He is the youngest world number one in history as a result. It was the youngest US Open final for, or Grand Slam final for 20 years uh, since Leighton Hewitt and David Nalbandian played the 2002 Wimbledon final. Um, which I thought was quite an interesting little little nugget. Uh, George, give us your kind of overall thoughts. Did you did you think it was a good final, for want of a better better phrase? Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was decent. Um, I've seen worse finals, that's for sure. Which I know is never <laughs> never the greatest statement to start with when you're asking if it's a good match or not. I, I was kind of saying to you off air, James, that I thought Rude actually played about as well as I'd expect him to play really you know he he made it a match he 
he took a set. We, you know, you and I were right on that front, James. A terrible prediction from Calvin calling that in straight sets. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, the the level Rude has to get to to beat Alcaraz is phenomenally high. And I thought he played a good match. I don't think Alcaraz was necessarily at his best either. They probably both played somewhere between seven and eight out of ten, and. You know, at that level, Alcaraz is gonna gonna win that match nine times out of ten. So, yeah, I, I thought I, th- I think these are these are two good players. We'll see. In obviously, we'll, we all think Alcaraz will stay number one for a long time. But I think Rude will stick around in the top five to ten for the next five ten years as well. I think he's a good player. He's shown he's improving lots of aspects of his game. I I, I think he'll beat most players who aren't, you know, Alcaraz, Djokovic. Medvedev, etc. He's he's kind of going to make the most of what he's got. I think. I suppose that actually, as well, over the next couple of years, that'll be enough probably to win you a slam at some point, um, because Djokovic won't be around forever. Medvedev inevitably will pick up an injury or two, and you'll get a draw where you avoid them. Um, and similarly, Alcaraz. So it'll certainly get you some finals. Calvin, do you, do you think that Kasparud has shown that he will win a slam, or has he just shown that he's going to be around for a long time? Um, I, I still don't think he'll win one. Um, if I'm honest, I'm I think he could, but I don't think he will. I'm, I'm not going to come out and say no. He'll definitely not win one um, because I think if if the draws work out favorably as as one or two slams tend to do every five or six years. It wouldn't be unfeasible that he picks one up, but I don't. I just don't see him being able to beat one of the best players in the world um, in the final of a slam over five sets. Do you think that Carlos Alcaraz has proven exactly what we always thought and that he will go and win 15, 20 grand slams? I know that's in the realms of speculation, obviously, but... You know, You've also guy... kept the number too low there, James. <laughs> sorry, 45 sorry, to 55. 40, 45 to 55, <laughs> as I believe the, the height chain dictates. Um, something that stood out for me last night and that ties into both those questions, James, was that if you look at the players who, if you look at, in invert commas, the big three, the players they beat to win their first slams were good players, but not great players. So Federer won his first slam against Mark Filipusis. Um, Djokovic won his first one against Songa. Songa. And Nadal won his first one against Mariano Puerta. And now Alcaraz has won this one against Kasparud, who I, like say, I don't think he'll win a slam. And, and I think what, that's quite important that they get on that while they're still relatively young. Federer was actually quite old. I think. Was Federer 23 when he won his 21, first one? 21, yeah. 21 or something. Yeah. yeah. They get on. It's it's good to get on the on the ladder early against guys who you think, yeah, you'd take that. Whereas if you look at comparative, you look at Murray, who basically faces Djokovic in all his Slam finals, or Federer, or I don't think he's ever played Nadal in the Slam final actually. Um, and it, and it, it it's good that they that he's got on the ladder early and he's been allowed to do that by playing somebody like Kasparud. I think he would have preferred to play Kasparud than say in a, in an alternate look in an alternative world Alcaraz could have played Djokovic in his first three slam finals not won any of them and then it becomes a bit of a, a an issue for him that he's been in three finals and hasn't won one like Murray did. 
Um, so I, I do think that's relevant that those guys have, have managed to get on early with with decent wins. And it, that came about because a mate of mine was texting me last night who constantly harks back to this era of the the big three. And he was saying Nadal, Nadal would have, de- it was when Rude won the second set and he was like, Nadal would have destroyed this guy in his first slam final. And I was like, yeah, Nadal beat Mariano Puerta in the final in four sets. <laughs> That's not, and he, he was. I think the quote he, he came in, he, he stormed into the French Open and retired everybody. And I was like, that's not really what <laughs> you know, we're doing some rewriting of history. And Nadal had a quite a cushy uh, first final as well. Um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, James, I, I think he'll win. He'll, he'll win at least 10, I would think. Um, I, I think what, what did, uh, sorry, George, I'll just say my last piece. What, what did strike me last night, halfway through it, was that if you'd have told me two years ago that, if somebody had said two years ago that none of Tsitsipas, Zverev or Felix Oger Aliassime would, would ever win a slam, I'd give that less than 1% chance. I now think it's 50-50 that none of those three win a slam because I, I think that almost the game's moved on a little bit from it. It's quite interesting looking back to like the big three and their their first slam wins and then what happened next? Like, I, I don't know how much people kind of remember this, but actually like Nadal, while we all think he was like this unreal teenager, it, it took him quite a few years to win a slam that wasn't the French Open. Similarly yeah. for Djokovic, he won that Australian Open and then he, he had a barren two years basically. And then suddenly mega Djokovic emerged. Um, Federer is probably the only one, and you know, this comes to Calvin's point actually, that Federer won it a little bit later. Federer is probably the only one who really, took off straight away at all the majors after that first one. But it'll be quite interesting now for Alcaraz to see, is this, you know, once Djokovic is back in the mix at Australia, et cetera, is there going to be a bit of a bite back on him tour, big target? Will it take him in time to then kind of readjust and start dominating at the slams? Because, you know, it doesn't necessarily follow that he'll win one and suddenly there'll be this massive floodgates opening, I suppose. I think, George, for, for a... A little bit of rewriting of history there as well, because I remember when when Federer won his first one at Wimbledon, he actually won it in a period of time when Andy Roddick was being completely dominant in the game. And then Roddick won the next one. He won the the US Open and he destroyed everybody in that US Open, did Roddick. And I think at the time, just in that, if we got just taken in isolation, that sort of six month period it really looked like Roddick was going to be the one who dominated. He just hit the ball so much harder than everybody else. He had this huge mm. serve, huge forehand. Federer was seen as a really talented player, but even possibly a little bit underpowered in that, just in that six month period. And then it just never, in fact, Roddick never won another one and Federer really took off. And the then next Federer year. won three of the next four next year. Yeah. Or yeah. Which... But um, yeah, it, it, it certainly, and we've had, you know, these before, like if you'd have said that, that Leighton Hewitt would after he'd won his first Wimbledon, if you said he'd only win, I don't know whether can't remember whether he won the Wimbledon or the US Open first. But if you think if, if when he won the second one of those, if you'd say he'd never won and win another Slam, you'd think it was crazy because he was completely dominant in the men's game. Yeah, and you know it's to a lesser degree, but someone like Michael Chang, he won a seventy-year-old yeah, Grand Slam absolutely. and then won nothing else beyond that. I think the other the other thing we do, and you know, people will be annoyed at me bringing it up, but but. But this draw, you have to say, it's been massively favourable for Alcaraz. He's avoided yeah. Medvedev. He's avoided Djokovic for circumstances that aren't there. You know, he, he's avoided Nadal. He's avoided the three best players on hard court. So, you know, this idea, it may suddenly all start going his way. 
Um, he, he's got a way to go to prove he can beat the very, very, very best over five sets. You know, even Zverev, he lost to him in, in the clay in Paris earlier this, this year. Okay, he's beaten guys like Sinner and Tierfo here, but they're, they're a tier below. So, you know, it, where this goes now from Alcaraz's perspective is going to be really, really interesting. Will that confidence propel him up to he just suddenly starts beating everyone at that level over best of five? Or is he going to get a bit of a reality check when he gets to Australia and gets turned over by Medvedev or Djokovic or someone like that? I, I do think, to be honest, I do. Th- I, I was thinking last night that as I, I worry about Medvedev, where he goes from here, it, you kind of wonder whether we've already seen the best version of Medvedev and whether it's enough against such as Alcaraz and those type of guys, Kyrgios when he plays him, Djokovic, Nadal. You wonder, I don't, I don't see where Medvedev goes from here. I'm not, I might be wrong. And, and I'm not writing him off by any stretch, but when I look at it now, I think, well, what he kind of makes a lot of balls and hits to a good length, but have the best guys figured that out? Do do we think he's got back to his best since that kind of injury earlier in the year? I know we're sort of about he, or even that final loss in Australia. You know, the kind of mental side of that plus the physical issues he's had. Is it the case he might get to the off season, refresh, and then come back strong again? I think he's he's maybe lost four or five percent but i think more of an issue is the other the guys have figured out how to beat him and i think that's a problem for him more than more than the injury i was really blown away by the Kyrgios match because medvedev looked so underpowered and what what i need is a bit more kind of data really because i sort of consider the summer swing between Wimbledon and the US Open for Medvedev is a bit weird. I think probably in terms of headspace and in terms of what he's trying to achieve, a bit odd. But to go and lose to, like, well, obviously Kyrgios and Stefanos Tsitsipas and then Kyrgios again, I don't know. I, I, the big thing for me was that his serve looked so much less powerful than it has previously. Yeah, I think I can't remember who I was talking to. Maybe it's one of you guys before the Medvedev Kyrgios match. I said, "Oh, you're looking forward to it." I was like, "Well, it might be quite a lot of serving, at least in the first two hours." That sounds and like Calvin. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, that, that's what I said. In fairness, um, and actually, it wasn't necessarily quite a lot of serving. I mean, there was quite a lot of serving, but Kyrgios was all over Medvedev's second serve. Like, like honestly, like a I don't know, like white on rice. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, Calvin? I, th- I think what worries me most about Medvedev is that when he's down, when, when when he's losing and the other guy's playing pretty well, you wonder, like, what can he really do? Because he, he is a pretty one-dimensional player. Like I say, it's, it's if you're not playing great, it's a nightmare to play against. But if the other guy's playing pretty good, Med- we know what Medvedev does. He hits consistently to a length. He doesn't miss very much. But if he's doing that and he's not winning you're basically relying on the other guy going off because he's not going to... There's nothing he can really do. And I know people talk about... There was this... I never agreed with it. I said on the podcast, there was this idea that he was the great problem solver. I don't think that... Uh, well, I think that's come to pass and kind of, without sounding like a dick, I've been proven right in that because he doesn't really know how to solve problems. Randomly throwing in serve volley points and Dominic team missing passing shots at key moments in matches is not problem solving. Well, I think there, there are two matches he probably showed most that ability to completely mix it up. And they were quite high profile matches that 
have probably created this problem sort of thing. So there was the, the Djokovic Masters win, where essentially his tactic was just twat your second serve as hard as you possibly can yeah. and you won't get anywhere near <laughs> it. That. And that did work for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other one was that US Open final, which he, he lost to Nadal. But he, you have to say, he, he played two sets. It wasn't working and he mixed it up. He tried the kind of serve volley thing and it, he, he did turn it around and then Nadal refigured it out. So you know, even the two matches that were that kind of great piece of evidence um maybe aren't the full puzzle piece as you're saying well there was the tm one there was the team one weren't they in the world tour finals where he randomly played a serve volley point and tm hit a great (laughs) return then had a mid-court forehand passing shot and missed it and everyone oh what a great tactic from 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 medvedev and it's like no the terrible one the tm should have broke it was a great point to team if he'd have done that he'd have served for the match you think well the team should have broke he bottled it I, i i still I mean, I've always said about Medvedev, I see him somewhere around the, the three to five slam mark, probably. I'd still back him to probably get to the lower rung of that, even though other guys are coming on. I, I still, I, I personally feel like his year has been quite disrupted, both off the court and on the court. And I've, I've got a feeling he'll kind of refresh and be a big threat at these hardcore slams for the next four or five years minimum. I think he could be George, but I think in that I I do hear what you're saying, but he's he's pretty much tight now. He's had a few matches in going into this US Open. You know, it's been a while now since he's sort of not been able to cut. Well, he only wimbled and he missed. He, he was injured earlier, but um, it, it's more at the latter stages. You know, he's still only won one, and let's face it, he's he's choked a lot of matches. Like he he should have won the Australian Open. Um. What else did he should he have won? There was another one. It was the World Tour Finals when he the came World in. Finals, Nadal yeah. came in like in such phenomenal form, and he was just went to pieces. We had big leads, yeah. and he just couldn't finish it off. But again, are we looking at many of the matches he's losing and really panicking in terms of the opponents at slams? I mean, it's, it's been a while since he's had like a loss to someone. I've thought, oh bloody hell, he shouldn't have no. lost that. Like, it's not. These are still kind of very tough matches and I don't know. No, I agree on that. It's more, he's going to come across those players in the latter stages of slams and I don't really see how he's going to beat them unless they play terrible. That That's what the major issue I have with it. And that why including that is Alcaraz, Kyrgios, although God knows Kyrgios is going to even play another Grand Slam. Um, <laughs> uh you know, sort of Sitsi, when Sitsi passes that again, his number, because he's always had Sitsi passes number. Um, Zverev started beating him. Good job. Sitsi pass won't get past the first three rounds, isn't it? Well, that's true. There's more <laughs> further problems there, isn't there? But then, you know, you're going to get these guys who are huge hitters. You know, I'm not looking to oversell it or anything, but like such as like Jack Draper's a huge hitter. You know, he's going to come into the top 20 in the world soon. Like mm. these guys are going to, Sinner is going to, you know, I don't know who's who's winning the slam. Who's winning the slams that Med, that Alcaraz is not going to win over the next six or seven years? Well, I, I, I mean, it's going to pick up some. Yeah, it's certainly on the on the evidence of the last two weeks. I think Sinners. I mean, I know he served for the match against uh, against Alcaraz and and didn't put it away, but he also did some really clutch stuff in that match, um, like. He was love forty down in the second set, and he hit five consecutive first serves, 
like on spots and that really stuck with me as like bloody hell that is ridiculously clutch and also played like one at probably the match of the tournament so yeah i think he he will certainly pick up what one or two george you've got an I mean, idea? This, this is always an unpopular opinion but and one you both probably disagree with but for me zverev was winning that french open before that injury uh um, i i i don't know if zverev was playing the best tennis in that french open that's different i think he was he was getting yeah, very close i we you know, know his, Nadal we know probably wouldn't nerves. have lasted another few hours. We know his that. nerves towards the end of uh, under pressure. But it, it only would have been Casper Ruud, wouldn't it? I don't know. I'm just saying, as someone he, that no, but he would have felt like he was beat, turning. He would have had to beat Djokovic as well, though. Yeah. And I don't know if Zverev beats Djokovic in the French Open. Beat him at the yeah. Olympics last year. I, Djokovic was weird that match as well, though. He would have beaten that Djokovic that turned up against Nadal. Whether that Djokovic what, turns up against Nadal, what, what, this is all hypothetical, I suppose. Give me two Zverev big wins in slams, George. <laughs> well, you know, I think we were, about, we, were about to, we were about to have one of them before his ankle. Well, no, that, that's not what well I'm well saying. Uh, <laughs> also, <laughs> to, and to be fair, I think you'll find that Alexander Zverev's ankle was a result of the establishment's protracted campaign That's against a very him. Good point. A very uh, good point. Constantly giving him difficult schedules, bullying him, calling him names, um, jump-top yes. accusations of domestic assault for a full year. So what I, I, really I, also heard, James, I also heard, James, that they were using extra fine clay at the French specifically for that reason as well. <laughs> <laughs> so the for, ankle for, for, the rec- for the record, and just to avoid any confusion... It's complete nonsense. Alexander Zverev is not the subject of a conspiracy against him. I, I, I would love to meet the bloke who can like build a conspiracy that ends with someone seemingly, unfortunately, snapping their ankle ligament in such a in such a dramatic way. Would be would be quite a work of genius, to be quite honest. Um, but Did you not spot the banana skin on the court, James. <laughs> Calvin. Um, I'll say it quickly. I'll say the, the reason I think Sinner is going to win a few slams is specifically the reason is because he can beat uh, Alcaraz. And I think he's got the game to beat Alcaraz. He's shown he can beat Alcaraz. Shown at Wimbledon he can beat him over five. He was very close to beating him here over five. And I, I think he will beat him at slams again. And that, when I look at some of the other players, I don't I don't think uh, Sitsipas is going to beat Alcaraz at a slam. I don't know if Felix is. So he's Sinner is one that that could and we kind of have to rely on it because the way it's looking you you never want complete dominance you want a big star in the in the in the game but you never want complete dominance and could get a bit boring if Alcaraz just keeps chopping everybody I I I think I think Alcaraz won't I think in fact no I'll say I don't think Alcaraz wins a slam next year that's that's my big prediction really right so who who, just just run me through who's winning the next next four slams Djokovic, yeah, is the first one in Australia, comfortably. Am I backing Nadal to be back? I, I weirdly, I think Zverev might win the French Open this year. Right, okay. Yeah. If he can get back. Oh, to fitness. Also, just just on a point of order, uh, I did get I forgot which way around the Nadal Djokovic and Nadal Zverev matches were, and the Nadal Djokovic match was the quarterfinal. So if Zverev had beaten Nadal, he wouldn't. Have I was going to say I thought. He'd... It was anyway. the semi, not the quarter. Yeah, not the point. Who's so? So you're picking Nadal or Zverev to win the French? Yeah, Djokovic will win Wimbledon in the next three years. No one's right. even close to him on grass. Right. And then I, I'm back in the Medvedev resurgence of the US Open. I mean, no one's retained. If not team. No one's retained the US, <laughs> the men's US Open since like 2006. So 
you know. I suppose what I'm saying, I, I think it's far from a foregone conclusion. There's still big guys playing out there who he's totally swerved this tournament. Alcaraz, who I would still back at the moment to beat Alcaraz in the Grand Slam final. If the problem is with that, though, George, is that how old's Djokovic now? 34, is he 35? 35, I think. 35, yeah. right. You can't. He's not going to keep being able to not play the tournaments and just keep winning the ones he is playing. That it, it, there's going to be some something there that that prevents that. I I think it's far from certain he wins in Australia. Uh, I I think I'm confident in Australia because it's quite soon. But I also agree with you, Calvin, that there must be some regression um, and some kind of you know mean reversion that means that. A 35-year-old man can't just be fit all the time. I mean, you know, we talk about this era of, like, guys peaking in their 30s now and, you know, going on for a long time, but none of them have gone past 35 and just been really fit and never really had any injury problems. Like, Federer has, since he hit 35, what's he now, 40? So that takes us back to 2017 when he had surgery and um, a back problem. And has pretty much been on and off ever since with injury. Same with Nadal. Um, Stan Wawrinka is perhaps now 38, but certainly hasn't played any proper tennis since he's 35. Jock, uh, Murray is about to hit 35 and probably won't be able to play uh, regularly at an elite level. It, you're right. It's, it's not reasonable to expect a 35-year-old Djokovic to uh, to do that much. Just to flip the question on its head, then are you, are you a both certain or? You know, certain as you can be, that Alcaraz wins a slam next year, and, and which is the slam you're you're most convinced he will definitely win? I I think I think he'll win one next year. I'd, I'd make him bigger favourite than um, Zverev to win the French. I mean, he, he was he played rubbish in the French. He had he had his one terrible match. That match against Zverev, when Zverev beat Alcaraz, Alcaraz played terrible. He mm. had like points to break at key moments, and he was missing midcourt forehands that he hadn't missed all season. But if I, that's not going to happen again, I'd, I'd give him a solid chance at both the US and the did, Australian Open as well. Did, did you think he played that well at this tournament? Because for me, he didn't play that well. He just avoided the very top level competition who would punish him in those moments. Like he, he played some wonderful shots. He played some wonderful moments, but he was up and down in most matches. I thought he went away a lot. Um, I, I, I didn't think he played that well. I'm not trying to you know get the guys back here. I'm just saying for context, like we're talking about. You know, he played badly against Zverev, but I've seen him play badly at moments in this tournament. Sinner should have put him away. TFO had chances. You know, it wasn't, he, um, wasn't yeah, perfect by I any I know what you're saying, but it, I mean, going back to the conversation we had in our WhatsApp group last night, he has, I don't think he's the most charismatic person, but he has this phenomenal char- um, competitive charisma that where he can bend the the cadence of the match using his will. And I think that's what, isn't it? Yeah, that's what he can do. And there's a difference from being close with Alcaraz and in front against Alcaraz and finishing him off. And mm. I think that's where the players have struggled. Um, I, but but the guys who could do it, none of them played him, did they? I mean, how, that, many, the how, many slams that, how many slams that Djokovic has won has he played well in over the last over the last six or seven years? Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, he's not won many where he's needed to come back. I mean, he won the Wimbledon against Federer, where he was crap. Um, <laughs> That's true. Uh, this last Wimbledon, he didn't again didn't have to beat anybody, did he? 
Mm. Like, you know, you, you beat Berrettini in the final, but no, that was last year, weren't it? Mm. Who'd you beat in the final this year? Uh, it was, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Who'd you beat in the final this Nick year? Kyrgios? The Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios, yeah. <laughs> yeah he beat a part time tennis player in the final. Ama- amazing that we've all spaced on Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> yeah, but that, no, but that's, you know, we're, we're holding it, you can't hold it against. Uh, against Alcaraz and say no, he, no, won't no. A, he won't win a slam next year. I'm, because... not, I'm not holding it against him, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it, I agree with your point about Djokovic, but Djokovic has proven time and time again against big players, he does beat them more often than not. But I'm just saying Alcaraz is yet to actually have that first slam win against a top, top, top guy. And I mean, I'm top, talking top, top, top. top. The, the, problem you know, the guys is, we George, think are up there, right? Yeah, the problem is though, George, that there aren't many of them around. Zverev's beat Zverev's played a lot of slams when all of Murray, Federer, <laughs> Vavrinka, Djokovic, even going down to Andre Rublev, uh, anybody else has been around. He's not been able to beat them. You can't again, the same mate last night had said to me, uh, he said something like, The problem I have with Alcaraz's generation is they've waited for the other guys to get old. They haven't retired them. And I'm like, he's only eighteen, he's only nineteen, mate. Can't hold it against him because he hasn't been <laughs> he hasn't been beating Djokovic and, in slams for the last seven years. To be he lost perf- off his career to the pandemic. Well, oh, yes. <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest, and I I asked Ferrero this last night, and I said, if if the pandemic hadn't happened, do you think this would have happened sooner? And he kind of went, Yeah, I mean, why not? Like probably. And I think that's the reality. I think if you don't have three months of shutdown, and so he said specifically, he said Alcaraz obviously won on ATP debut. And let's remember, by the way, we talk about Alcaraz's physicality. He was 16 years old, and he won at 2 in the morning, over three and a half hours, against Albert Ramos for the Unilas, who is not a great player, but he sticks around. And Alcaraz was 16. And then a month later, the tour shut down. But he was already entered to play Indian Wells in Miami, which would have given him... Well, who knows what he would have done, but he would have picked up points, and then he wouldn't have been playing challenges over the summer. He would have been getting closer to decent sized draws and all of a sudden this acceleration probably comes a year earlier calvin uh yeah i'd say there's the one thing i'd say about what you mentioned earlier about the 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 youngest ever world number one um a bit of an anomaly because of the when the rankings officially came in i i'm not sure actually but i think borg would have in theory been the youngest ever if they'd have done it but they didn't they used to just have world player of the year back then i think Oh, the, the, uh, the rankings are just made up then, yeah. Yeah. So but the I rankings think... started in August 1973, and I think Borg turned pro in 73, so I don't know. Yeah, but they didn't, I don't, I think the way that they did the rankings then, like you say, obviously we watched the um, the the Vias thing. I think in terms of, I do think Alcaraz is currently the best player in the world. Uh, and mm. I think in terms of, I think Borg was also the best player in the world when he was, I think I looked into it yesterday, like maybe a month or too younger than Alcaraz right, okay. um if but they just they only I think they they I think Borg won player of the year back then because of the weird way they did the rankings he never actually got to world number one when, when you say when you say you think Alcaraz is the best player in the world do you, you mean you think he's better than Djokovic now because I'm just saying like he missed Australia he he nails on wins like Djokovic and if he had these points at Wimbledon, he'd be world number one. So I mean it like the rankings George, do lie from that perspective. Yeah, but Georgia, that's a different argument. He doesn't play. He's, cho- he's chosen himself <laughs> to not play. It, it's only the same as Kyrgios. I, I pan Kyrgios on this not playing thing regularly <laughs> enough. 
Djokovic has made a decision that he doesn't play. So until he plays, if he starts playing again and he plays now until the end of the year, I'll say, yeah, Djokovic is the best player in the world. But he doesn't. This is this is self-imposed. This nonsense. This idiocy which he's put on himself. Is he is he better than Nadal, who's won two slams? Where do we draw that line in terms of? Yeah, because becomes I, the best. I think he'd beat Nadal now on maybe anything other than clay. I think if they play, if everyone entered the tournament right now, starting this week, I'd favour uh, Alcaraz to win it. Hmm. If everyone was there, would you do? Would you not? I think Djokovic for me would still be the guy played. I'd favour. He hasn't played in what? I mean, when was the last the, time the thing is he's, he's just turned up and won Wimbledon without playing. I, I don't know. I just, for me personally, I still think Djokovic has has that edge at slams that other I, people don't. If, like I say, if he's playing until the end of the year and he starts winning again, I'll say, yeah, Djokovic is the best player in the world. But I can't take it serious. People who are, who are saying Djokovic is the best player in the world at some stage he's going to start <laughs> deteriorating. He's going to start deteriorating. We don't know if that's happened yet. I do think it's happened. He's not the best version. He, of yeah, he has deteriorated. For yeah. Sure. yeah, And it's going to keep mentally while he's good. not playing matches. He, mm, he's, yeah. he just can't not can't keep not playing tennis matches. He was garbage against Nadal in that um, French, French Open. Yeah, he was mm. poor. Mm. He was poor. Well, so we're basing it on. Wimbledon. We're basing it <laughs> him on Wimbledon, where he where he basically beat a part-time tennis player in the final and didn't didn't have that many great wins on the way nori no. sinner kesmanovic he had a few wins where he was just like yeah i'm gonna let you have a lead and then come back and kill you. I, th- I think nadal would have, I, I think nadal would have beat him if nadal would have been fit he'd have beaten kyrgios and i think he'd have beaten djokovic in that final purely because djokovic doesn't have enough tennis matches in it mm. there you go Rafa Nadal would have won Wimbledon. Anyway, this isn't the shoulda, woulda, coulda podcast. <laughs> it sounds like it is, to be honest. Yeah, it's, uh, it's swiftly turning <laughs> we'll into the... hypothetical. Yeah, to be fair, in about, uh, the la- about the last 10 minutes, we've talked about nothing that actually happened. Just, <laughs> just, just about things that we think would have happened if something else had happened. Um, I, I, on, but the overarching point is, it's just a really interesting point in time, isn't it? Where there is there are so many avenues of interest where... I don't know, but this pandemic has done just weird things to the game. Uh, it's, well, it's brought about a bizarre period. Forget pandemic. I'm not sure it's got much to do with it. But I, well, you, well you, in the you sense said, that Djokovic you... isn't playing because of the pandemic, right? I mean, right, well, that is the sole of. reason, right? It's a not um, Look. Wait, wait, sorry, James. Djokovic isn't playing because he's a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, no, right, exactly. Is. But if the pandemic hasn't right. happened, he, he'd yeah. still be trying Yeah, but if, the, the, pandemic, tennis, if right. the pandemic hadn't happened, Ian Brown would still be like a valid member of the music community. <laughs> That's true. Um, anyway, again, we're back into shoulda, woulda, coulda. I'm yeah, trying to desperately, desperately pull us <laughs> into the doors. realms of reality. <laughs> is it an interesting moment for tennis? Or actually, to offer the, the flip side of that, it's a deeply frustrating moment of tennis when we haven't had a single Grand Slam this year, barring arguably the French, where we've just had all the best players at a tournament playing well. When was the last time that happened? If anything, it's it's really a great preview for next year that we've got all this uncertainty from this year. We don't know if Nadal's finished. We don't know where Djokovic is. We don't know if this is Alcaraz about to begin this period of dominance. Is Medvedev going to come back? Is Verov going to come back? Is 
team going to come back. This oh, George. The most exciting Australian to, Open of all time. You have to drop it. Um, yeah, I suppose you're right, but it also makes me think that we're kind of in the realms of heavyweight boxing, where all anyone ever talks about is whether so-and-so is retired or not, or whether another person is actually going to fight or not, and whether, they, whether they're ducking so-and-so, and whether they're avoiding. Like, <laughs> tennis just used to be about people turning up to tournaments and playing, and now we spend our lives talking about whether they're going to turn up. I dare you to tweet that Djokovic ducked Alcaraz at the US Open about the vaccine if he just wasn't scared of it. Just see what happens. No, but Djokovic is more scared of injecting Carlos Alcaraz than he is of injecting a vaccine. Maybe. Uh, I don't think that would go very well. And again, I'm afraid that's in the realms of the speculative, George. So uh, when we come back, we'll try and talk about reality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, having all three of us on one podcast is like having all the best players in the world at the same Grand Slam. It almost never happens, and it must be celebrated when it does. I'm James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. This is the Love Tennis Podcast. I've got George Belshaw and Calvin Beton joining me for our US Open review. It's time to talk about the women's final. Iga Shontek beat Ons Jabeur. I don't know whether it's just the nature of being here in New York and covering Grand Slams, but already... The women's final feels like it happened about four weeks ago for me, um, even though it actually happened less than 48 hours ago. Uh, Iga Shontek beat Onstrabor 6-2-7-6, winning the final, the second set tiebreak, 7-5. Uh, it threatened to be an absolute blowout of a final. She led 6-2-3-1 at one point, um, but Jabor, well, found her level eventually about 45 minutes into the match, but had given the pole too much of a head start. She broke back and got the set back on serve, forced a tiebreak, um, but then hit a whole boatload of forehand errors in that tiebreak, including three unforced, and handed it to Shontek, quite frankly. Uh, George, how deserving a winner is Iga Shontek? And if you say, well, she won seven matches, so of course she deserves it, I'm going to ban you. That's very unlikely to say that. Um, <laughs> she, she, she's deserving in the sense she's a level above everyone else on the tour, and maybe one level's underselling it. I think she's probably about three levels above her nearest rival on the tour at the minute. Um, she 
maybe didn't play that well. I didn't feel like she really ever got out of second or third gear in this tournament, to use a, a useless football cliche. Mm. Um, it didn't feel like there were... I mean, there was the odd match where she got in a few tight corners or had a bad first step, didn't quite get going. She seemed to create more of her own problems than anything. I mean, what she was doing when she changed her racket on match point against Jabour. Uh, um, don't, don't we know exactly what she was doing? Did she break a string? No. I th- oh, gamesmanship. I mean, yeah, Calvin might disagree, sure but changing your racket on your opponent's wow. break point when you've not popped yeah. a string, I mean, surely but that's it's not just... a dumb thing. No, uh, I think it's just... If you do it within the time scale, I don't think there's a problem there. But like you're play- you're supposed to be playing at the server's pace, right? And like Antibal was on the service line, ready to serve. Oh right, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's an issue. I think if you finish the point and you run and get it, then you know that's not an issue. But if you're I mean that is largely what happened. But like it, it definitely was the case that Shantae was walking back to receive, having grabbed a new racket, and Jabur was like, "Come on, I'm ready to serve." I, uh, I I didn't see the point. Like, was she hanging around a bit? Was she like testing strings, or was it a case of running, picking the racket up, and getting back to the? Well, that, that she... yeah, pretty much that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's like. Look, you've got to. If she doesn't think the racket's good, that's you know she's a mm. she's a serial. More... She's a killer. Is Shvontek? She's not. I think she's going to want the racket she wants. It's more just weird. I thought just a really weird time. She's it. been she's the been changing was... the ra- her racket and string tension and stuff a lot this tournament, like at lots of different moments. And I think she clearly hasn't been totally happy. I mean, they've talked a lot, or at least she talked a lot before the tournament about how much she doesn't like the balls, and and ha- and clearly they they've been trying to make adjustments to try and counter that and make things easier for her. So I do wonder whether there's been a lot of uh, tinkering going on that has maybe caused a bit of uncertainty. And I do wonder whether that. That maybe explains why she hasn't played that well. I mean, she's gone through quite a lot of periods in this tournament. You know, the set she dropped to Jules Niemeyer in the fourth round, the set she dropped to Arena Savalenka in the semis, the second set against Jessica Pagula when there were 10 breaks of serve. That was a really poor level. So clearly there's some uncertainty in her game. Um, I mean, Calvin, is it a bit of an indictment of the women's game that... um, Iga Shvante didn't play particularly well and dropped two sets in this tournament. Uh, a little bit, yeah, I think. Um, she is the best. She's by far the best player in the world at the minute. But And I think that's the problem. She's so much better than everybody else. Yeah, She can play pretty bad and still cruise it. I mean, George, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I mean, we just asked the question about who we think we consider someone who goes into a, a match against Alcaraz at the Slam as one of the favourites. I mean, there's there's literally no one in the women's tour at the minute. I don't. I know Calvin will say Osaka, but she's miles off what she was. I mean, she's she's not a top fifty player at the minute. That's the reality for Naomi Osaka. She's like really poor compared to where she was a few years ago. I mean, there's just not a single person on that tour I look at at the minute and think you've got the weapons and the know-how to get past Sviantec like on a regular basis at slams like goff is the one who could develop into that player but she's she's levels below at the minute i think um, goff... jabor doesn't match well i mean it's it's not think... a great picture at the minute i don't think i think goff is not far off um i think the problem for goff is the specific weaknesses that she's got are very very well meshed with what shrontek does very well so 
you know, Kokogov's second serve is clearly a problem. And I, I got a stat for you. Um, Iga Shanta hit 33... Oh, sorry, Onsjabur hit 33 serves in the first set in, and not a single one of them was unreturned. She got zero... Literally, Iga Shantek did not miss a return in the first set, which is just absurd returning levels. Uh, and this is kind of what I'm saying there, James, is that you know players like Jabor and Goff, they're up their level to a degree that they're beating a lot of the tour and they will win a lot of matches. But the specific challenge of beating Sviantec, I don't think either of that well matched right now. Goff can close that gap, I'm sure. Um, but... Yeah, we really need some people to kind of step up. I, I thought Pagula was going to be the one who actually caused her more problems than she did before the tournament, just that she's played pretty steady stuff this year, and I thought she might kind of have enough to cause Fiontech problems. But, yeah, it's... I guess we need, we'd need we be praying for, like, a, a revitalization of someone like Andrescu or Osaka. Um, I think someone like maybe uh, Leila Fernandez, like in like, two years' time, I think maybe she's got a game <sighs> that's know. in the ballpark. And I don't know what Shontek's record against lefties is like, to be perfectly honest. Because mm-hmm. actually, if you think about it, there's very few, just coincidentally, in the women's game. There really aren't. I mean, is is Leila Fernandez the highest ranked lefty? It's Kvitova there. Uh, where is Kvitova in? She's 18, yeah, okay. But like. We struggle to think of it as a force at a slam, don't we? Like at the mm. moment, I don't know. Um, Iga Shontek's record against lefties is bloody good <laughs> 21 and 4 uh, in her entire career. Oh, of course, she lost to Beatrice Haddad Meyer in uh, Toronto this summer, who is possibly the highest ranked left hander. Yeah, she is yeah. 17 in the world. There you go. Um, but yeah, I, I just struggle to to look at the top 20 women in the world. And and I know we will always say that the WTA from like 10 to 80 is, is very even. Um, but I just do struggle to find people who are going to really push her. I think, yeah, just to stick with the com- comparison between the two, if you said to me right now, Alcaraz will win all four Grand Slams next year, I'd say, no, he won't. Someone will beat him somewhere along the way. Mm. If you said to me, Igor Fiontek wins all four Grand Slams right now, i say, yeah, I can see that. Like, there's no reason why she shouldn't do that with the game at its current level and the players who are currently getting there so there's a big onus on the rest of the tour to actually not buck up their ideas but you know they've got to get up to her somehow because she's she's streets ahead of everyone else at the minute i think Mm. do do we i mean yeah i'm really struggling for names i mean daria kasatkina (laughs) <laughs> that's throw that out there. I mean, as, uh, look, w- can... Wimbledon. You looked at the way Ribakina played in the final, and you're thinking, oh, or in that tournament as a whole, and you're thinking, oh, wow, that's actually someone who can hit through people, mm. who could blow Sviontek off the court, and then she's just gone to Parsons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sabalenka caused her problems for a bit, but she doesn't have the mentality to kind of get get over the line at slams, as we sort of discussed. God, Sabalenka's the one, isn't she? I mean, like, with the game that she's got, she's got all the bits and pieces. She just hasn't got the head, like, in any way. She just goes to... I mean, I felt really sorry for her after the semi-final. She was absolutely gutted. She was in tears. Like, she could barely get through a press conference. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, that is sad, but, like, you've been here before, like, quite a lot, and nothing's really changed. 
Quite, if you look at Shiontek's opponent she beat on the way to the final, she drove Pagula to drinking a beer in a press conference and made uh, <laughs> made Savalenka turn up with the biggest sunglasses I think you'll ever see to try and kind of hide her emotions. So. Yeah, I mean, Jewel Niemeyer was quite chilled out about it. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, and Ons Jabeur, yeah, I mean, she was quite composed in her press conference, but... Yeah, there were pictures of her backstage with her team, just head in hands. And I suppose you want people to be disappointed, don't you? Don't want them. I mean, I'm sure Calvin would agree. If someone walks out of a final that they lost and got outplayed in and said, "Well, you know, uh, I did my best this fortnight, and it's a really good run to make the final," I think Calvin, if one of your players said that, you'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I, I think with, with you know with Sabalenka, I, I I do think there's I don't think she'll win a slam because I don't think she can hold it together mm. uh, when it matters. I think she's shown that quite a few times. Um, yeah, I don't think she will. <laughs> Can't say much more on that. Um, I was just say who who who's more likely to win a slam between Ons Jabeur and Casper Ruud? Both have reached two Grand Slam finals this Jabot. year. Yeah, See, I think Rude's more likely than Jabor. I, I genuinely don't think Jabor gets over the line. I think there's just players out there who will always beat Ons Jabor. I've been a big Jabor, a big Jabor believer, and I am starting to doubt. Um, but equally, I don't think she'll win one. I don't think she'll win one. But I think she's more likely than Rude. It, I just think age-wise, I think Rude's got more time and weirder kind of potential we don't know the trajectory of the men's tour you're suggesting as... that the men's tour is going to get weirder than the women's tour that's had like 13 <laughs> I, I just, winners in the last 16 I, I, I merely mean Sviontek I'm pretty certain is going to just dominate for the next few years and that's a that's bad news for Jabor because her style couldn't match up worse to anyone than Sviontek's whereas Alcaraz I think will dominate I'm still. I still think there'll be some weird uh, slams in this kind of transitional men's period before that dominance truly takes off. Jabeur has beaten Shontek twice. I mean, it's not she like has. she's been. Totally I just don't think in the biggest her. moments, mm. biggest matches. You're aware of Shontek's record in finals, no doubt. Yeah, sixteen bad, and one. <laughs> yeah, she could. It, there's there's a world though where Shontek could lose to somebody like Sabalenka. Or someone like that, and I think if it then comes to it, I'd fancy Jabor to beat a few other players in Slam Finals. Mm. Um, but then she I did don't... completely collapse against Rubakina, didn't she? Yeah, um, she did. But then, you know, you could argue that, you could argue that Rude got chopped by Nadal. But I, I, I'm genuinely of the theory Rude's played as well as Rude could in his two Grand Slam Finals. I think he's played absolutely fine in both of them. I think, I think he just... played. I think he played really well yesterday, except for the third set tiebreak where he went to bits and all of the kind of quite reliable shots that he'd had um he went to peace i've completely lost my train of thought because calvin's just sprayed something in his face and i'm absolutely it's... desperate to know what's going on <laughs> i get it's to stop itchy eyes it's right okay. okay yeah sure but, rafa nadal says he has the same thing just to keep i'm just gonna go and play four five set matches in a row now <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Rude's played two better Grand Slam finals than Jabor has, hasn't he? Comfortably. Uh, well, I, I, I think Calvin might disagree on the basis that this one and Rude's Nadal final are, are a chop. Well, yeah, he I, took a set against much better players than Ribakina is. 
I don't know. Nah, no, I, I, th I think Jabor is closer to being... I think Jabor is genuinely the second best player in the world at the minute. I also agree. Uh, but I'd, and, and Rude isn't. So on that premise, if Fiontech happens to go out of a tournament... I'd, I'd kind of and it gets to like the quarterfinals. I'd make Jabor favourite. Jabor was favourite to win Wimbledon once Fontek had lost. Mm, no one had Rubikina as favourite against her. I, I actually did. To be fair, Rubikina <laughs> oh, would win. Captain hindsight here. <laughs> oh, right. You can dig out the podcast. I said Rubikina would check the records. Check, check the, the records. records. I, I honestly just don't think Ons Jabor's ever going to win the Slam. That's, All right. that's my no, neither do I. I think she might opinion. not. But I think she's more likely to win one than Root. And right. just for the record, they're both on paper the second best player in the world right now, Kelvin. The rankings um, don't lie. Rankings don't lie. You said that earlier. They don't the lie. rankings are the rankings. <laughs> the famous Rude man is our said. second best player. Yeah, all hail Rude. Uh, let's move on uh, because we're running out of time. Uh, I wanted to ask, not necessarily to do some awards, but I wanted to ask uh, both of you which player or players, if you prefer, has surprised you the most, either positively or negatively, at this US Open? Um, let I've me... got two already, if Calvin needs thinking time. I've got my positive uh, go on, You go, yours. You go first, Josh. My positive... I, I, I've actually taken both from the men's game, because, you know, we've had the world number one and two reach the final of the women's game. But positive for the men's, Francis Tierpo, comfortably of either tour i thought he played a brilliant tournament had that standout win over nadal pushed alcaraz really far he's convinced me he can actually start getting himself in the mix at big events going forward which i previously was not convinced of so i'm he has surprised me um i don't know if you'd say surprise but my biggest disappointment actually has to go to murray because i think he should have beaten berrettini and i I have this nagging feeling that the section of the draw Murray was in and the players he was playing, he'll look at he'll look back at this slam as a a shocking missed opportunity to reach the final. I don't think the players who would have faced him in that little run would have had enough necessarily to beat Andy Murray. So I, I think he'll he'll leave this tournament gutted because Berrettini was poor. He made some ludicrous errors to kind of throw that match away when he was turning it on its head. And I think he beats all of, or is capable at least of beating all of Hatchinov, Rude, um, not Alcaraz, but he might have made the final. So I think he'll, uh, he'll leave quite disappointed. I think Murray. Calvin, your biggest surprise of the tournament. Um, I, I'd agree with George on TFO uh, for sure. Um, I got it. You know, I've got, in case of balance, I've got to say uh, Kyrgios as well. He played, really well until um until he lost uh but then you know more of the same when he lost um <laughs> right, but yeah right, we'll see as, as he as he as he blessed us yet with what he's planning for the rest of the year is that him done for the year now uh i think he's registered tokyo or something, yeah i mean <laughs> i think tokyo may have been saving up appearance fees for the last five years <laughs> right um, because yeah they've got rude was very although Zverev actually a little bit of news that people may not have seen um, Alexander Zverev has pulled out the Davis Cup this week because he says he's got a bone edema, which is not an injury I necessarily understand a huge amount about, um, but it's to do with fluid and bone marrow. And he said it's going to be weeks or months, not days. 
which is pretty bad for a guy who's only just come back really from that um, ankle injury. Uh, but he is on the entry list uh, along with Kyrgios, TFO, Fritz, Nori. Um, I'm not convinced Cam Nori probably needs a massive appearance fee, but um, he is a top ten player. So uh, yeah, he he's a down for Tokyo and. Obviously, Tokyo, from travel perspective, isn't that hard from Australia. So, is that um, it, or will he do the um, they do the indoor swing in Europe? I think he'll play. I mean, is he going to qualify for World Tour finals? I'm just getting the race up. Uh, I know because he didn't get points at Wimbledon, so he's not going to qualify for World Tour finals. Yeah. I'd, he's not said he'll play the European indoor swing. I'd be very surprised if he did. Quite frankly, um, yeah. based on um, he he did get asked after he lost, like, what are you going to do? And he was like. I mean, he basically said, I have no clue, mate. Like, I'm, I'm not really thought about it. I just want to go home now. Um, which is quite reasonable after losing a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Um, uh, my biggest surprise, and some of you might say that you don't think it's a surprise, was Stefano Tsitsipas, actually, um, who didn't just lose in the first round. I mean, he got marmalised by uh, Daniel Alahi Galan. He lost the first two sets, 6 love 6 1, if you remember. And then I spoke to him afterwards and he said, I I felt the pressure of this being an opportunity to get to number one. And while I've always had doubts about Stefano Tsitsipas, I thought he would eventually win a couple of slams and maybe get to world number one at some point um, because of his suitability to lots of different surfaces and ability to play all year round. And that was a massive alarm bell for me to be like, yeah, I felt the pressure. I was like, you weren't. It was the first round. Like, you weren't even really in the pressure cooker yet. So, I think Stefano Tsitsipas has got to really sort his head out um, and try and cope with that level of pressure. Because if you're struggling with the idea in the first round that you could potentially, you know, become world number one or get closer to it or you know get closer to achieving a goal, God knows what's going to happen to you next time you're in a Grand Slam final. So, um, yeah, that was my biggest surprise. Uh, George, we're drawing to a close. You've usually got some other business. I wondered if you wanted to give us any more US Open thoughts. I think it'd be it'd be wrong to leave a discussion about this US Open without at least saying what what a big miss to the tennis world Serena Williams will be, um, which I know is something we've covered a lot before. But seeing as we're in a bit of a, of a review mode, um, I think you know. Okay, well she's not maybe not delivered her best tennis for the last couple of years. She's had a massive impact on the sport and is someone who will be greatly missed, uh, both for kind of the positive, negative and uh, exciting moments she's brought over the last however many years. Was it 25 years since she's been kicking around, something like that? So, yeah, just thought I'd say, well done, Serena. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> yes, uh, fair enough. That I think that is a suitable any other business, Calvin. Uh, yeah, we haven't mentioned it. Another really, another brilliant uh, tournament for British doubles, as well. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, um, we did mention it very briefly in passing, I think, the other day. But uh, it's yeah. So Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram winning the men's doubles, beating Wes Kulhoff and uh, Neil Skupski, who are leading the race. Uh, whoever won that match would have gone to world number one. So Salisbury and Ram hang on to world number one. It's also quite funny that they're all going to be playing Davis Cup against each other um, in the next week. So uh, Kuhlhoff is going to be playing with Jean-Julien Roger, who's actually, I think, the world number five doubles player for the Dutch. 
Neil Skupski and Joe Salisbury will almost certainly play together for Great Britain, and Rajiv Ram will play with Jack Sock, I believe, uh, in Glasgow in the Davis Cup group stages. Which I mean, it's going to be an app. That is an absolutely stacked doubles group with like. It's um, is, is Skupski actually in the team? Because yeah, he was the he last guy named. So right. they named four, I think, yeah. because they weren't. Sh- you know, they wanted to make sure Joe was fit, basically, and right. he obviously is fit. Um, and so, yeah, they they wanted to make sure that if they needed another singles player, they could put one in. Um, and you know, they've got they've got Joe in to play doubles, so okay. Neil's going to play with him. Um, and I think probably also a bit of backup for Andy Murray, not really knowing what his status was. I mean, there's lots of chat about the fact that Joe and Neil might not play every match in the doubles, which is mad. But it basically, if if Andy can't play singles for fitness reasons, you know, it's in Glasgow. There's going to be a lot of people who've bought tickets almost exclusively on the premise that Andy Murray will play at some session. Um, so you might end up getting like Andy and Joe playing one, or Andy and Neil, or or even like Andy and Dan or something. I, I think yeah, I was going to say there's another player in that team who I think who I know thinks he's the best doubles player in that team. Yes, well. yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Evans pretty much said as much when we started poking him about the fact that Jack Draper was playing really well and he might get dropped (laughs) he almost said but I can play doubles as well but he didn't quite say it Um, my internet connection is Murray lucky to be in this team at the minute is that a question for another pod if Draper's fit I think he's he's close and I think if it's not being played in Glasgow but yeah strongest Davis Cup squad we've ever had perhaps we, we should explore on another future Davis Cub pod, I imagine. If I'm well, here for it. I, I, does that happen while I'm away? I think that happens while uh, I'm away. Yeah, it does happen while you're away. George, Devastating George, news. Yeah, George, so tell us about your holiday plans, because people will find that interesting, probably. We yeah, do. always. Uh, I'm off to the Philippines this week. I'm okay. best man for a wedding out there, so I've arranged oh. a stag do this weekend, right. the wedding's the week after. Um, we're going on the honeymoon as well. So You're going on the honeymoon? In between. Were you invited? Yeah, not like not staying in their suite or anything, but we're going to the same area they're traveling to. It's quite, I've done it before, weirdly. I think when you kind of have a big wedding out in Asia or something and you've had all your friends kind of travel there, it's, it's apparently not uncommon to like... What I'm mostly taking away from this is that George keeps inviting himself on people's honeymoons. <laughs> um, it, well, George, I've got two things for you. Uh, Filipino weddings are always incredibly fun and it's the friendliest place in the world. And the other thing is, do you think you could track down Alexandra Ehlers' family? She is the uh, women's, uh, the girls' singles champion uh, for the US Open this year. She beat Lucy Havlakova in the final. She is the first ever junior Grand Slam finalist from the Philippines. She's also uh, a graduate of the Rafa Nadal Academy. And I'd be fascinated for you to go and do a big, um, a big investigation into what it's done for Filipino tennis. All right. <clears throat> really wish you'd raised this with me three months ago before I booked all my internal flights and got locked onto a, a strict itinerary. <laughs> right, but okay. if, if I happen to be passing anywhere that mentions her, you have to write the name for me in the chat, yeah. James, and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll begin my, my search in earnest. Well, look, she beat, she beat a Czech girl in the final, which is usually a pretty good indication of, uh, of success, so... Um, she's clearly going well I think that's all we've got time for this week thank you very much for listening throughout this US Open Um, it's been really nice to chat to lots of you uh, in DMs and on Twitter and all sorts of platforms Uh, while I've been out here in New York it's made it feel a little bit less lonely which these trips sometimes can I'm going to fly home tomorrow night tonight in fact and then I'm going to sleep for about a week Uh, please do come back when we're awake George you're going to interrupt my extra 
well done to our fantasy tennis winner, whoever it was as well. Kaza. Kaza will get Kaza. her praise. Don't worry. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.